Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, teaching pastor for Riverwood. Um, and I uh, want to start with an update from Patrick Ray. Uh, Patrick is a church planter up in the North Minneapolis portion of the Twin Cities. Uh, we've been supporting Patrick these uh, last three years financially. Uh, I know uh, some of you support Patrick uh, financially as well, or you're part of his prayer list. You get his updates um, and uh, we've even sent a handful of you up to go and help them as they've been doing their planting efforts. Uh, Patrick wanted us to know that they have been uh, meeting weekly on Sundays since Palm Sunday. That's when they launched. And today they are having five baptisms. Uh, in fact, uh, it's causing a stir among friends and family, people in the neighborhood. They're really, really curious about this. And in fact, he said there, there's one kid who loves baseball, but he's <laughs> skipping his baseball game today so that he can go and attend the church service and watch these baptisms. He's just that curious about it. There's another girl who this is leading her to want to know more about Christ. And so she's going to begin a Bible study, all because she's hearing about these friends of hers being baptized. Um, Patrick, in his text to me, he said this, and I wanted to share it with you. He said, I've honestly never been a part of an evangelistic season like this. Uh, it's just so exciting to hear what is happening there. And so Patrick just wanted to say a huge thank you to the Riverwood family, uh, because what you give uh, here, a portion of that has gone to help them. Uh, the, the number of you who have been praying for them individually, uh, he just feels so supported by Riverwood, and so he just wanted us to celebrate with him. So I think it's just really appropriate as we get started to, to pray for them in their morning today as we get ready to go into the teaching of the word. So Heavenly Father, we uh, just want to just say thank you. Thank you for what you were doing through Patrick and Shelby and, and the entire planting team for Northside Neighborhood Church. God, thank you for what they are seeing happen for this, uh, the way he put it, this evangelistic season that you have put them in. And, and God, I pray that this is not just kind of the conclusion of the season, but the, the, the launching of it, the beginning of it. Uh, I thank you for these five individuals that are going public with their faith. I pray that this would just be a joyous celebration. But I also pray for this young man, this, this kid who's skipping his baseball game to come. I pray that he would come to know who you are, Jesus. I, I pray for this young girl who's fascinated by this whole idea and how she's wanting to begin a, a Bible study to understand the gospel. I pray, Father, we would see her as our sister in Christ. Thank you, God, for the work that you are doing in North Minneapolis. So, God, we just pray that you protect Patrick and Shelby and, and their entire team as, as they are planting this church. I pray that you would protect them spiritually. You'd protect them emotionally. You'd protect them physically as they live in a dangerous neighborhood. I pray, Father, that you would just help them to see you and sense you, and, and they would see just an incredible season of, of, of your spirit moving and people's lives being changed by the gospel. God, we pray that what you're doing there, you would do here, that we would see the baptism waters constantly stirred, that we would see people fascinated at this idea of, of Jesus, that they would want to study the Bible, they'd want to, to not just come here on a Sunday, but they'd want to, to, to be around people who know you. And so God, I pray that today through this message, you would just raise within us a love of you, that we would see just how much you love us, Jesus, that, that, that there's no moment that's too small, there's no person that doesn't matter, that, that we in our lives, in our everyday mundane lives matter to you, and you can use us right here where we are at, and we might see some people come to know you through what you're doing in us and through us. So God, I pray that the, the challenging things that I need to say today, that they would be just 
soaked by your spirit, that they would be coming from you and not from me, that, that you would help us to hear loud and clear your call to follow you, to abandon it all, and, and to trust you through all things, through the good and the tough. Because, God, you are sovereign. You know what you're doing. So help us, Father, to trust you through all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start off uh, with a little dangerous move. Uh, anyone ever gone to a, um, a comedy show where they ask for people to, you know, call things out and they somehow turn that into comedy? What is, what is that called? Improv, okay? We're going to start with some improv. Not comedy, okay? I'm not funny, uh, okay? Like that right there, that's all the laughter I usually get. Um, so we're going to start with some improv, but I want you to call out a movie, but there's a few parameters I'm going to put around this. You need to call out the name of a movie that's the ending of a franchise, like an entire series. I need the final film, and the other part is that I need to have seen it, okay? You may not know that, but I, I can't pull this off without that. All right, so I, I need a film that's the end of a franchise. In game, okay, we're gonna go Avengers. All right, so if you've seen the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and by the way, that was not planned and planted, uh, okay? I was ready for, I, I tried this out with my family. I had Star Wars, and uh, one person said they might do Harry Potter, uh, so I was, I was ready, okay? But in game, uh, if you have not seen the, the MCU, it's uh, basically superheroes, we, we start way, way back, you know, what was it like, you know, 100, 200 years ago with Iron Man and working your way up. Uh, okay, see, I'm not funny. I'm not funny. Uh, but y you're working your way up, and then finally they assemble, and they fight all these bad guys, and there's aliens involved, and finally you get to uh, Infinity War and Endgame, and it, the bad guy is Thanos, all right? And, and so in Endgame, it's, it's reaching this point where it looks like life is destitute, it's over, and, and Thanos is here, and it looks like he's going to win. Now, what I want you to imagine, if you've seen the film, if you haven't, you're just going to have to picture whatever in your head. But I want you to imagine that, that scene where Captain America is standing there, and, and, and he's bleeding, he's worn out, his shield is cracked. It looks like they're going to lose. And Thanos is there, and he's got this whole entire army. And I want you to imagine right at that point, as the story is building, the tension's great, you're just wondering, how are they going to do it? And suddenly the director's cut to a scene in, let's just say, New York City. And suddenly you're, you're, you're in New York City, and you just kind of see some people walking around, just going about their life. Someone's walking their dog, someone's throwing a Frisbee in Central Park. And you're just kind of like, what is this? And then suddenly you're back, and, and there's Captain America. And you, you kind of stop, and you're thinking, what was that? Like, why the sidestep? Like, the tension's building. What's going to happen? And then suddenly you're in Central Park. Like, what was the purpose? It, was it like comic relief? But Stan Lee wasn't in the scene. It wasn't funny. You know, or, or was it, you know, like just, just to help you breathe for a moment? But it, it didn't take you to any of the characters. Like, what is going on? It feels meaningless. Today we're going to have a story in the, in the scriptures that's going to feel kind of like that. Uh, Mark, throughout his gospel, has been slowly leading things up to the pinnacle of the story, Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, chap, we're getting ready to go to chapter 11. We're, we will not study the first 11 verses, by the way, next week, because uh, we've all, we just had Palm Sunday a couple uh, months ago, so I, 
it would just be a reworking of that. So if you want to see Mark 11, 1 through 11, go, go to Palm Sunday and you'll get the gist of it. But, but, but next week, we would normally be in, in chapter 11, the start of Palm Sunday, which leads into the story. Last week, we see Jesus out in front of his disciples, and this concerns them. He was never out in front of them. And yet he's out in front leading them to Jerusalem, and then he tells them for the third time, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to get flogged, and I'm going to get killed. But then I will rise on the third day. So the, the tension has been mounting. And then suddenly today, we get a story of Jesus healing some blind guy. It, like, it makes you just kind of wonder, like, what, what's going on? Like, it, it's like this sidestep. It, it doesn't feel like a scene that contributes to the story. Like, why is Mark putting in what is a meaningless scene? Or is it actually that meaningless? You see, what I hope you'll discover today is that this scene shows us this is why Jesus came. That there is no moment too small for him. That there's no person who's not important to him. That every single moment and every single person matters to him. And this whole entire story is why he's going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. And what I hope you get out of it is to realize that no matter what you are going through, God is aware of it. And your, your moment, your pain, it's not too small for him. Your life is not insignificant to him. I hope you walk out of here more in love with him than ever before. But also, I'm going to end up saying some really challenging things. But you need to hear it. Because I'm hoping by working through those challenging things, it's going to help you to trust God like never before. So no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, I really think you have, there's something in this for you. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Mark chapter 10. If you are a first-time guest with us and don't have a Bible, we're going to put the scripture up on the screen so you're going to be able to read right along with us. But I just really encourage you to bring a Bible, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. We don't care if that's a digital Bible or a paper Bible. We just want you to have one. If you don't have one, download one to your phone or uh, just let us know. We'll help you get a paper copy of the Bible. Just send us an email or write it on your connection card, and we will get one into your hands. Um, we've been in Mark 10 for a while now. Uh, excuse me. And so today we finally get to finish this, this chapter. Uh, so if you would, join me in verse 46, and we will read to the end of the chapter. And they, being Jesus and the disciples, they came to Jericho. And, he, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, come, get, uh, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Some people, when they hear stories like this out of the Bible, they just think, ah, this is a fable. It, it, it's fiction. Like, the, miracles like that just don't happen. But when you start looking at this, you notice Mark drop in some details that don't really add to the story. 
They're the kind of details you expect from an eyewitness account. If you were with us way back when we began the book of Mark, we, we saw that in, uh, before we began that this was actually a recording from the apostle Peter, that, that Mark would have interviewed Peter probably when he was in prison about ready to be, be sent and crucified himself. And so Mark's trying to gather this information from him. And so as Mark's telling these things, just these details would come to him. And he'd remember like, oh yeah, there was this time when, when we were in Jericho, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and suddenly there's this whole story about this guy named Bartimaeus. You see, sometimes when people are trying to lie, trying to make a story sound good, they throw in these details, but these sort of details don't really move the story forward. And there's a risk in it. This was written probably 30 to 40 years after the event happened, which means someone who could read this, say they lived in Jerusalem, they could make the day's hike to Jericho and begin asking around. Because there would have been people still around who would have heard this story, would have known the people involved. Maybe were even there themselves. Like, oh yeah, I was a teenager when that happened. I remember. And so they could go and find out this really happened. But there's something else remarkable about one of these details. And that is the fact that Mark actually takes the time to name Bartimaeus. So often as we study the scriptures and we hear these stories, we don't get the names of the people. That's that's because Jesus was in their life for a moment and then he's moving on. But in this case, some way, somehow, we get the guy's name. Now, in Hebrew, the word bar simply means son. So it's, it's like he's, his name is just simply son of Timaeus. And, and Mark actually says that, that he's Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus. Right? It's like he puts it in there twice. And kind of like, okay, that's kind of a weird name. You're like, what if I just named my, my son, you know, son of Aaron? Like, oh, okay. But really, our equivalent is junior. You know, we could have named one of our kids Aaron Burr Jr. I, my kids are probably thankful that that was not their name. But that, that's the equivalent here. But you see, it's significant for him to have been named because typically a blind beggar would not even register in the social circles of the day. He would not have mattered to anyone. He would just sort of blend into the background. I have heard that people who live in large cities and and who walk all the time, at first when they began to to make their walk to work or, or wherever, they would notice the homeless and it would bother them. But after a few years, they don't even see them anymore. They just kind of blend into the urban scape. That's what Bartimaeus would have been like. He would have been completely overlooked and ignored. How do I know? Look at the reaction of the crowd when he begins to cry out. Verse uh, 48. It says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. I want you to picture the scene. They've just gotten outside of Jericho, just on the the backside of it. and, And Bartimaeus is sitting there, and he hears some commotion, and he starts sensing there's a crowd. So he starts calling out, hey, hey what, what, what's going on? What, what's happening? And they're like, Jesus of Nazareth is here. And suddenly he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd's like, shut up. Be quiet. Like, you're a blind beggar. We're not here to see, hear you. We're here to hear Jesus. We don't really want to see you. We want to see this famous rabbi who's come to town. Like, you be silent because you don't matter. They just overlooked him. And yet, do you notice? Bartimaeus doesn't let it stop him at all. The second half of verse 48 says, But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
that phrase, son of David, is significant. Uh, it's, it's a messianic title. Uh, you see, the, the Jewish people knew that God had promised King David in, I think it's 2 Samuel 7, that, he, that God would put a, a man on the throne of David, that, that it would always be in his line. And so even though now Rome is ruling over them and so there's no king on the, the Israel throne, they're expecting this Messiah to show up. And so they talk about this Messiah, this son of David who would come. And he would eventually free the people from the tyranny of Rome. And so maybe Bartimaeus is hoping that this guy would free him from the tyranny of his blindness. And so he starts calling out son of David. But did you notice the first phrase that was given to Jesus? In the text, it says that he's Jesus of Nazareth. I think as Bartimaeus is asking people, what's going on? They're saying Jesus of Nazareth is here. Now, this means they know about his fame. They hear about his miracles. They hear about his teaching. But he's not the Messiah. Because if they were to call him the Messiah, they would have said that he was Jesus of Bethlehem. You see, Bethlehem was the city of David. And so they know that if the Messiah is going to come from the line of David, he has to come from Bethlehem. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus is the son of some carpenter from this no-name town with not a very good reputation. And, and so therefore, we want to hear him, we want to see him, but he's not the Messiah. And yet, Bartimaeus doesn't let this stop him at all. Because even though he's physically blind, it's almost like he sees clearer than everyone else. No one can teach like this Jesus. No one can do these miracles like Jesus does unless he is the Messiah. And so he grabs on to this messianic title, son of David, have mercy on me. And the mercy he longs for is the restoration of his sight. Many scholars believe that Bartimaeus used to be able to see and somehow lost his vision. If he had been born blind, probably Matthew, Mark, or Luke, who the three who have this story included in their text, they, they, they would have mentioned this. But the fact that they didn't, most scholars believe that Bartimaeus used to be able to see. Could you imagine? I mean, imagine you have something that, that's kind of precious to you. I mean, heck, it could be even something that maybe you used to just take for granted. And then it gets taken away from you. Like maybe, maybe you've lost a loved one to cancer or to a car accident. Maybe you had a dream job and suddenly the company downsized. Now you have no income. Maybe you built a house and it was like the, your dream and then it goes up in flames. Like you know what it was like to have it and now to have it removed. That's what Bartimaeus is going through. He knows what the sky looks like. He knows what trees are like. He used to see his family. He used to be able to work and contribute. And now he can't see anything. He can't work. And now he's just overlooked and ignored. So he's asking Jesus, have mercy, restore my sight so I can work again and I will no longer be a nobody. The crowd tries to shush him and he won't let him. Well, then as you get into verses 50 through 52, you see Jesus stop and call him. In fact, here, look, look at it. I think it's actually 49. Um, it says, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. What a change in them. Like at first, they don't want anything to do with him. Like you, be quiet. Now suddenly Jesus says, no, actually, yeah, I, I, want, I want to see him. Oh, hey, if Jesus wants to see you, you must be a somebody. So yeah, come on, maybe if Jesus gives you attention, some of it will come off onto me. 
It's like how you see on social media. People will be absolutely ignored. And then suddenly, like some you know, celebrity will point out, hey, I really like this person. And then suddenly, everyone else likes them too. You know, some a no-name musician, no one listens to their records. Ah, they're not very good. And then some celebrity says, man, I really like this guy. Now everybody likes them. That's kind of what's happening here. You be quiet. No, I want to talk to him. Oh, hey, you must be important, so come on. But then I want you to notice, if you want, I don't have it on the screen, but look, look there in verses 50 through 52. Notice the first thing that happens. It says that Bartimaeus gets up, and he sheds his cloak. He's a blind beggar. He has almost nothing. That cloak would be what would keep him warm on those chilly nights. He could roll it up, and it could serve as a pillow. Like, he doesn't have much of anything, and yet the one thing he does have, he sheds in order to get to that which is better. I'm not going to spend time preaching on this, but some of you need to hear that. You need to know that maybe there's something in your life that God is asking you to get rid of. You need to shed it so that you can go and have that which is better. He doesn't want anything to hinder him. He doesn't want to trip on it. He doesn't want anyone pulling on it. He throws off his cloak so that he can get to Jesus. And then here's Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And notice what he does. He stops and gives his full attention to Bartimaeus. He's not like checking his watch like, oh, hey, dude, I, I got to get to Jerusalem. Um, y- y- I'll give you two minutes. Like, no, he's there. He's with him in full body, full presence, both eyes, both ears given to this man. What do you want? Bartimaeus makes his request, and then Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Doesn't touch him. No mud this time. Like, just a word. And Bartimaeus' sight is recovered. But again, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and suddenly stops to give Bartimaeus this time. I think this is intentional by Mark to put this story at this spot in the text so that we realize this is why Jesus came. Because Bartimaeus mattered to him. Bartimaeus has the image of God in him. And the whole reason Jesus came is to restore that image which had been torn and marred by sin. I mean, here's Bartimaeus feeling the effects of sin through the blindness. Like, God did not make Adam and Eve with no sight. So this was not part of the original creation. This is part of the fall. Jesus came to restore all things. And so the whole reason Jesus stops and gives him this time is because this is why Jesus came. At Riverwood, we talk about loving like Jesus loved and living like Jesus lived. So as we look at this story, we should be seeing how Jesus lives. But that's where I feel conviction. Because I realize I live too much like the crowd, not enough like Christ. Like there's too many times where I just kind of overlook people. I overlook their needs. I ignore the situation. And yet I don't be like Christ and give my full attention to these people. If we are to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, it means we have to give our time and attention to those who are overlooked, who are ignored, who are the outcasts, who are the least of these. Because after all, that's what Jesus did for us. If you are a Jesus follower, you may not have been physically blind, but the the scriptures teach in a sense that you were spiritually blind. 
You, you could not see God for who he truly was. So many of us think that we've got to like earn our salvation, and yet Jesus had to come and do it for us. Jesus stops everything he's doing in heaven to come down to earth to give us his full attention so that he'd go to the cross and heal us of our spiritual blindness. And now, because Jesus has done that for us, he now wants us to go and give our lives to help others. And so this means we cannot give just all of our time and attention to our friends. Like, your family is important, but they're, they're not the only ones that you are supposed to minister to. You're not supposed to just serve those who look like you or who are in the same economic bracket as you or who seem to have the same kind of educational level or the same demographics. No, you are to serve even the overlooked, the ignored, the outcast. So who, who in your life do you maybe need to go and serve? Who is kind of the least of these that God has put around you? Who's that person at school, in your neighborhood, at work, your extended family. The person that makes you uncomfortable and makes others uncomfortable and so no one wants to give them any time. The person that, because of their disability, just no one seems to want to help. The, the, the person that, because of their skin color, just seems to get ignored and pushed aside because I just don't relate. If we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, those are the very people God's calling us to. So if, if I had to say, you know, I have an application point, it's that we need to go and, and serve and love the least of these. We need to find those Bartimaeuses and give them our time and attention. But I, I have a second kind of application point today. But I, I need to say that it's not going to be nearly as cool or in vogue as that first one. You see, it, it's uncomfortable to go and serve those who are different than us, who are the overlooked, but there's kind of a, a cool factor about it because we've seen the videos, we've heard the heartwarming stories of people who've gone and served these least of these, these outcasts, you know, the Patrick Rays who go and live in North Minneapolis and, and serve and love these people and you hope for the happy ending. I mean, just look here, Jesus stops. We get a happy ending, Bartimaeus is healed. And so maybe if I give my time to this drug addict, if I give my time to this homeless person, if I give my time to this person who seems to have, you know, this neighbor who has no family and she's all alone, she's a widow, if I give my time to her, maybe we'll see some sort of happy ending. So yeah, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, but maybe there'll be something that'll make me feel good and, and might, you know, be a story for others. And so there's kind of a cool factor about it. My next point, it, it doesn't have the same cool factor. It's going to be just as challenging, but it's not going to be nearly as heartwarming. In fact, some of you, as I get going on this, you're going to start feeling uncomfortable because it takes us into some truths that our American ears don't like to hear. So right now you're wondering, what in the world is he about to say? Oftentimes, we've talked about this before, but oftentimes when we read stories like this, we insert ourselves into the story. Now, we don't have the audacity to insert ourselves in the place of Jesus. I mean, I, I don't sense that I could walk up to a blind person and say, hey, your faith has made you well, and like that. So what we do is we insert our place, ourselves in the place of Bartimaeus. Here's Bartimaeus. He's blind. He's struggling. He's suffering. We know what that's like. We may not have physical blindness, but we know what it is to suffer. We know what it is to be rejected. We know what it is to long for something. And so we see what he does, 
And we say, okay, so there's the magic formula. Son of David, have mercy on me. And if I just call that out, then I'll get the job. Then I'll get the healing. Then the relationship will be restored. Then I'll finally have that kid. Then I'll finally get these things in life. So son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the way I'm setting this up, you may be thinking I'm telling you, don't do that. No, no. I'm going to tell you, cry out. Plead with God. Pray. Who was it who tried to keep Bartimaeus quiet? It was the crowd. Jesus totally welcomed it. So by all means, no matter where you're at in your spiritual walk, cry out to God. He loves you. And he just might answer that prayer in the way you want, in the timing you want. So by all means, go for it. However, sometimes God doesn't give us the answer to our prayer in the time that we want. I mean, let, let's think this through. Let's imagine Jesus comes to Jericho, there's Bartimaeus, and Jesus walks right on by and doesn't respond. Is Jesus cruel? Is, is, is he just like downright mean? Or, or let's do this. That back in, I think it was Mark chapter 4, there was a story of four friends bringing their crippled friend to Jesus. They can't get to him, so they create a hole in the roof. They lower their friends down. What was the first thing Jesus said to the, the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven. So let's imagine that Jesus sees Bartimaeus and says, Hey, Barty, your sins are forgiven. And then just keeps on walking. But he has not attended to the physical ailment that he's going through. Does that mean like Jesus is just clueless? No. You have to realize that about seven, eight, maybe nine days after today's story, Jesus dies on a cross. And why does he die on a cross? For the forgiveness of Bartimaeus' sins. Jesus is doing this to restore all things. And part of the restoration is eventually in heaven, there will be no more blindness. So Jesus is here to help prevent these things and to change the whole entire narrative. And so Jesus is going to give Bartimaeus what he truly needs. You see, even if Jesus had healed him of his sight, and then, and then he dies in a sin, Jesus didn't really give him anything. But even if he had let him remain blind, but goes and dies on the cross, he's given Bartimaeus everything. And that's what we need to remember. Too often, I think we see these stories, we put ourselves in the place, and so we cry out, but when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we think he should, in the timing we think he should, we start to get mad at God. And we start thinking that either I've done something wrong or maybe God isn't as powerful as I thought he was. Maybe he's not as good as I thought it was. Maybe God doesn't even exist because I did the magic formula. I said the words and nothing happened. You gotta realize, Jesus has already done everything he needs to do for you. The greatest thing you need is the forgiveness of your sins. God loves you. He wants you in relationship with him. And that can't happen if you were separated by your sin. So even if the cancer isn't cured, even if your loved one stays apart from you, even if the financial situation isn't changing, you need to hear God loves you. And, and we need to take this out a little further, as if this isn't uncomfortable enough for some of us. You see, if we believe there is a God, we have to know that he is completely sovereign. 
he is completely in control. Which means God allowed Bartimaeus to lose his sight. That's uncomfortable. I I know some people who have actually kind of left the faith because of that idea. They could never serve a God who's that cruel. You're misunderstanding me if that's your thought. It does not say, I'm not saying that God made him blind. God is not evil and cruel going, man, what can I do to this guy? I I know, I'm going to inflict him with blindness. That'll be great. No, the whole reason Jesus goes to the cross is because the world is broken. So Bartimaeus' blindness breaks the heart of God. That's why Jesus heals him. It's just that sometimes God doesn't do the healing because he has a better plan. And that's where we have to completely trust him. We need a new definition of good. When God doesn't do it in the timing we want, it doesn't mean God's not good. I remember uh, one day my son Salem, who's uh, now 17 and towers over me, I remember when he was about one and a half. Um, I had get cold sores, and uh, unknowingly I had, you know, kissed him when he was a little kid, and the, the virus got in his mouth, and the way it happens is instead of just getting a cold sore, it, it affects the whole mouth. And so this poor little kid had this tongue full of these little bumps, and he was in pain, and it was my fault. And he used to suck on his first two fingers, and I just remember watching him go to put them in his mouth, and then he'd realize, oh, that's going to hurt, and he'd just drop them. It just broke my heart, and I wished I could just fix it. But yet, he would sit in my arms and let me hold him. Would I change it if I could? Yeah. If I'd, if I'd known I was starting to get a cold sore, I would never have kissed him. And yet, it was a precious moment several times where I just got to hold my kid and be with him in the midst of his pain and struggle. Part of me saying, I'm sorry, but another part of me just saying, I love you and I'm here with you. Some of you, the struggle you're going through, God is with you and he's holding you. I am not wise enough to know why he's not just giving you the healing like he did to Bartimaeus. I don't know why he's allowing you to not find the job yet. I don't know why he's letting you remain single. I don't know why he hasn't brought that healing yet. But what I do know is that through the cross, I see the love that he has for you, and I know he is with you and he's holding you. You matter to him. If Jesus is willing to set aside for a moment what is going to take place in Jerusalem, to give his full attention to Bartimaeus, then your situation matters to him too. He's not overlooking you. He's not ignoring you. He's not unaware. So that is why I say, cry out. Pray. Seek him. He just might give you the answer to your prayer and bring you that mercy. But even if he doesn't at this time, he's with you, he's holding you, and he's already given you everything you need through the cross. Because you realize that even if he doesn't answer that heart's cry in this life, if you're a Jesus follower, you get heaven. You get eternity. And the pain of this life is going to be nothing but like a blip, a mist, compared to the eternity you're going to get with your heavenly father. And so that is why you can hold on. You can trust. You can keep going. Because he loves you. He's with you. He's holding you. And he's already given you everything you need through Jesus. So Heavenly Father, I pray 
that you would help us right now to be at that place where we would trust you, that, that we would completely surrender right now to you. Father, I pray for the person who maybe is here in person or they're online and they have not given their life to you. And, and right now they realize that you, Jesus, love them so much you went to a cross to die for their sins so that they would not be eternally separated from you, God, but that they would be able to come into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that they right now would confess their sin, they would surrender their life, they would declare you as Lord, and they would begin to follow you just like Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus. But God, also, I pray for the person who is struggling. There's a lot of pain right now. This is difficult. And they've been crying out, God, have mercy on me. Solve this. Fix this. God, would you help them to hold on? Would you help them to realize just how much you love them? That, That right now you are with them. You have not abandoned them. You are not overlooking them. You are not ignoring them. God, bring them peace. Let them taste some of your mercy. And God, because of your mercy, I pray that you would bring that healing. I pray you would restore a job. I I pray that you would repair that relationship. I pray, Father, that you would hear their hearts cry and you would do these things for your glory and for their joy. But God, I pray that you would help them to not just see you as, as some vending machine that they can just get things from. Instead, you are a loving God who is fully present with them. And sometimes your presence is more than enough. So God, help us to come to that place where we just accept who you are, we accept what you're doing, and we allow you to answer our heart's cry in your way, in your timing, because you are far wiser than us. So God, help us to be people who trust you, because we matter to you. There's not a single person that is too small for you. There's not a single moment that is too insignificant. So God, help us to trust you an omnipotent, omnipresent God who knows exactly what he's doing.